Well, dads, I just want to say to you this morning, you got this. You have. And, and I, I salute you. Um, as a dad, uh, I understand how difficult it is. I believe it's the second most difficult job in the world. Uh, we celebrated the first most difficult job about a month ago of you moms. It's tough, man. It takes courage. And you have your good days and you have your bad days. And, and you never stop being a dad. I mean, you know, once you have a kid, you just, that, you're on every day. And I got my, my kids are all grown now. Still like, okay, we're there. We're working on it, you know. Love being a dad, though. Um, so today, I want to talk about that a little bit, that you got this, and, and you have this, and you and I need to remember it. Actually, in Nehemiah chapter, chapter 4, verse 14, it says this, and I think this really speaks to dads in particular, speaks to men. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your home. It doesn't say fight with your family. It's, it says fight for your family. And, and let, let's face it, in our culture today, man, it is a battle because there are a lot of forces at work uh, the speed of life and a lot of other things that are going on today that you just, you just got to fight for. You got to fight to keep your family together. You got to fight to love your kids uh, in the midst of all the things that are going on in, in our culture today. This is a picture of, of a guy who really, really inspired my life. This is my late father-in-law, Robert Manili. And he was a fighter as well. He, uh, he was actually in World War II. Uh, he went to a great battle called Hacksaw Ridge over in Okinawa, and he fought right in that battle. And then when he came home from the war... He got married, and he had a family. He had four children. The youngest, her name was Karen, and that is my wife. But I learned so much from this guy. When he got home from the war, so he fought for his country because he believed in his country. And then he fought for his God because he believes in his God, and he fought for his family. And uh, he just, just was an awesome man who really, really inspired my life. And to this day, I, I feel like in some ways, I stand in his shoulder. We, we had a great time. We used to go fishing together and I think one of my favorite, really, things is that he would, he would tell me war stories. And if you know anybody, you know, he's a part of that greatest generation. And a lot of times they don't talk, but he was willing to share with me things that he never shared with anybody else, have a sense of, of, of what that part of his life was all about. Well, today we're going to talk about uh, dedicating yourself, and we're going to talk about making a decision. And so dedication is determined by decisions, and decision, if you, if you chose to be a follower of Christ, you realize that every day it's a decision. It wasn't just a one-time decision. I mean, initially we kind of start with that, uh, and then we say, okay, you know, it, it's on. But you know what? It's on every single day. Every day I get up, every day that we get up, man, woman, children, whoever you are, we have to say, I'm, I'm making a decision again today to follow Christ and, 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 and to represent Him. So, the reason that's so important and the reason that really that that's a struggle in a lot of ways is because there is a battle going on in our hearts. There's a battle. There's a guy, a very famous theologian. His name was uh, John Calvin. And he said, our hearts are idol factories. And so I want to talk about that just for a moment. Like, well, you say, well, what is an idol? You know, obviously in ancient cultures and even today around the world, there are cultures that have literal statues or icons and things like that. And they worship those and we would call those idols. But it, for the sake of our culture today, I'm not talking about that. Idols are anything that are bigger than God in our life. They are anything that we give ourselves to them. They have greater priority in our life than, than God has. And you, re, you might recall that, that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he brought down the Ten Commandments. And what was the very first one? You shall have no other gods before me. And those are idols. 
That thing that becomes more important. And I'll tell you what, we have to fight that off. We have to fight for that in our life every single day. So today we're going to get back into the story of Elijah. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to 1 Kings chapter, chapter, chapter 18. And, and while you're turning there, I want, you, I want to give you uh, kind of the context of what's going on. We're, this is our third week into it, so let me just uh, back up a little bit and, uh, and talk about how this all comes about. So Elijah, I, I call him the king of the prophets. He's one of the greatest prophets that, that ever lived. And he, he walks into Israel at a really difficult time in the history of Israel, and it, you kind of like, when did Israel not have a difficult time? It seemed like there's always something going on. But this was uh, northern Israel. So by this time, the kingdom had, divided, had been divided into two, like the southern part and the northern part. And the northern part was particularly evil. They had 18 bad kings, really bad kings. And then came along Ahab, and he was the baddest of the bad. Just, just a guy who was just evil right to the core. And then to make matters worse, he marries a woman who becomes the queen. Her name is Jezebel. And she's so evil that, for the most part, most people that I know of would never name their daughter Jezebel. She's so evil that, uh, whereas Ahab has led the hearts of the people away from God, and they've embraced the surrounding um, gods of the cultures and the peoples around them, his wife has taken it to a whole different level. She's actually um, sitting down with the prophets of Baal and the Asherah and all these people, and she's bankrolling these people and whining and dining these prophets in the meantime She's killing off all the prophets of God. And so, very, very difficult time in the life of Israel. And for the most part, they've led the people of Israel who know God away from God. And so it's just this like kind of free-for-all on a spiritual level. And then on, on walks the scene, Elijah. He's sent by God to the king. And he, he walks right up to, to Ahab. And he said, there's not going to be any rain until I say there's going to be rain. And then he just walks away. And for almost three years, God hides him. Last week we talked about the fact that the next part of his journey is God's kind of preparing him and ramping him up for a huge event that we're going to talk about today. Um, that, that, that God has is, is, is got him in a place waiting to do something in, in, incredible. And so this is, this is uh, where we pick up the story. There's a, well, I'll just, let me read a little bit and then we'll pick it up. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab. Now who's Obadiah? Anybody know there's a book in the Bible called Obadiah? Because it's one of our minor prophets. And, and, and so um, Obadiah has actually hidden a hundred prophets in caves that Jezebel's, remember, she's trying to kill all the prophets of God. So he actually has a hundred prophets that are hidden in caves because things have become so bad. In the meantime, Ahab has a contract out on the life of Elijah. He's out to kill him. Why does he want to kill him? It hasn't rained for over three years. People are, there's a drought, there's devastation in all the land of Israel. And who's going to be blamed for it? Of course, Elijah. So, Obadiah, verse 16, went to meet Ahab, and he told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, now it's kind of interesting, this is when he sees the king, what he says, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Well, who's really causing the problem around here? Verse 18, Elijah says, I've not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family, have you've abandoned the Lord's commands, and you followed the Baals. Now, Summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And he, he's acknowledging it. Yeah, yeah, you guys are killing off our people, the people of God, and then you're whining and dining with the people that uh, you've turned our heart, the hearts of the, way, the people towards these other gods. And so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel. 
And he assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Ijah went before the people and he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? That is a fantastic question. And I, I want to just let it hang in the air for a moment. How long will you waver between two opinions? That question is very relevant in our culture today. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, well, follow him. But this is a very telling statement. The people said nothing. You know, the people are just like, kind of like, at this point, well, I don't know. Let's see what you got. Right? And so that's exactly what they're going to see. They've come and they're, their hearts have turned away from God, and they're just kind of out there, you know, hanging out. And, and so what Elijah has done is he's, he's kind of dropped the gauntlet. He said, okay, let's, let's talk about what's going on in your life. Let's talk about the idols that are in, in your life. Again, what are, what are idols? Idols are anything that are bigger than God, more important in our life than God. He says, he, he just calls it out. He goes, you've abandoned the Lord's commands, and you followed the Baals. In other words, you're, you're worshiping idols. And so for us today for our context like where do we find ourselves sometimes really literally there's no other way to say it worshiping idols of a different kind and and i think prime there's a lot of different ways it happens but i think primarily we find it in these three categories Uh, the first one would be basically the american idol materialism money and we can just chase money all day long it's about you know, making our lifestyle better. It's about all the comforts of life. It's about all the status symbols. It's about all the things we want. It's about the American dream. And sometimes the American dream, there's no other way to say it, becomes the American idol. And it becomes bigger in our life. The sacrifices we make, even the sacrifice of our family, can become our idol. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with money. In fact, money is good, unless you use it wrong. The Bible says that money can be the root of evil. It doesn't say it is evil but it can be. But when it begins to consume us, when our money begins to own us instead of us owning our money, that's when it becomes an idol. And then there's, there's family. Now, it's ironic that I'm saying this because what, what did we just talk about? Fight for your family and you know, do everything you can for your family, right? But did you know that your family can become your idol as well? I've seen this in my life, throughout my life, where people elevate the status of their family above and beyond God. Now, the, the problem with that is that your family is not God, and they're human, and human beings, I don't care how awesome they are, will always, always let you down because they're not God and they're never supposed to be. And we have to consider that, you know, for all of us parents and we love our kids and we give them everything and sometimes we spoil them rotten and then one day they grow up and we're like, oh, wow. Um, and, then, and then there's the accomplishments thing. That, that can become an idol. That, I would just call that a career. And sometimes the career becomes so important to us that we allow a career to define us. We have, well, I'm a doctor. I'm an engineer. I'm a colonel. I'm, 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 yeah, and, and, and sometimes, at some point, our career defines us. Yeah, what, what's, what do we always say as Americans? You go to a party, and after the name is kind of, so what do you do anyway? Right? And sometimes we can lose ourselves in that, and that becomes our idol, and, and it becomes so big in our life, the next thing we know, it's all about that you know we are we are human beings not human doings and we can't allow what we do to define who we are and become bigger in our life because then it becomes an idol in our life you know and at the end of our life that doesn't play out too well so 
We have to give ourselves one of the greatest decisions, one of the greatest gifts you can give ourselves, and that's the gift of making a decision. Now, as I look in this room, I realize that we're all wired differently, and there's probably some of you that you are quick decision makers. How many of you are quick decision makers? Like, you're quick processors, right? How many of you, not so much so? All right, some of you, like, isn't it terrible when you're agonizing over a decision? You know what I'm talking about? And uh, I, I think, like, how about just, like, just going to a restaurant and uh, ordering food? So I'm, I'm, I'm quick because I'm hungry. So when I walk in, like, within a minute, you know, maybe two at the most, man, I've, I've got it nailed down. Now, my wife, on the other hand, oh, man. I'm, like, five minutes in. Order, just order. I don't care what it is. She just agonizes over it, you know. But that's, that's, what, that's just small sampling of what the decisions we have to make in life. I think um, one of the most difficult, bar none, decisions I've ever made is getting married. Now, it, it wasn't about my wife, Karen. It, it's just that I, I had almost married somebody else. In fact, it's a big old story. I, I came up 16 days to the wedding, and you know, it didn't work out, and it was messy, and it all got out. And, and so uh, I, I instantly fell in love with my wife, and we were dating, and but I just could not make a decision. And if you ask my wife about it, I, I wasn't counting, but she, said I, she says I broke up with her five times. And, um, and, and it's, that's how difficult it was for me. I was like, yes, I'll marry her. No, I won't marry her. Yes, and I've got my friends talking to me, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm seeking God about this. Like, I don't know, I don't know. It scares me half to death. And I'll never forget that day that I went to my office. By this time, I was already, uh, I had a, an established position at a church, and sat down, and I pulled out an old-school paper calendar, and I put a big old X on September 20th. I said, this is it. I'm getting married. And I didn't even ask her yet. <laughs> and so then, the next thing, you know, I, I went over to see her, and, and I said, and I, and I proposed to her, and I was very, very blessed, and she accepted my proposal. But I remember coming home from that experience and, and thinking, it just feels so good because I finally have made a decision. And there's something about making up your mind, especially on a spiritual level, that just settles everything. There's, if you don't, there's this anxiousness inside of you. Like, you know, you're sort of, as, as, he, as, as really Elijah said, you're wavering between the two. And that's just no long. How long will you waver between the two opinions? Indecision, especially according to Jesus, is still a decision. Do you know that? We don't, we don't see it. As Americans, we think, well, no, 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 I'm just keeping my options open, you know, and and that's just kind of the way I do it. But Jesus said, look, you are either for me or you're against me. And we're like, what? Whoa, whoa, no, no, no. It doesn't work that way. This is America. We don't think that way. First of all, Jesus is not American. <laughs> just, just so you know that. So he doesn't think our way anyway. And the Bible says that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so he just kind of, very black and white, he forces the issue. He says, if you are not for me, and we're like, well, no, I think you're groovy, Jesus, and I think you're cool, and, uh, you know, I, I'm not against you. He says, yeah, you are. If you're not for me, you're actually against me. In other words, Jesus said, I want you to make a decision. You have to make a decision. That's what Elijah's doing here. If the Lord has got, follow him. But if Baal has got, well, then follow him. But the people said, we're just keeping our options open. I, I call that the spirit of San Diego. I've been saying it for years, and P.B., Man, you, start, you, know, you try to get people committed to something, oh, just keep my options open. Just, just sitting on the fence, just waiting for something better. On a spiritual level, that doesn't work. 
And so there's, there's a test that is involved. We have, we have to test the contenders to see. And, this, and really, Elijah is forcing the issue here. He said, no, you don't get to do that anymore. You don't get to keep your options open anymore. You have to make a decision. And so let's see what happens. Chapter 18, verse 22. And I'm going to re- actually read through 29, if you're following with me. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first since there are so many of you, and call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them, and they prepared it. Just think of that, 850 prophets, and then stands, you know, Elijah. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy traveling. Maybe he's sleeping. He must be awakened. And so they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears, spears as was their custom until the blood flowed. You know, I like Elijah's spirit, man. I like his intent. Now, obviously, when we, you and I are trying to show people the way or introduce them to God, we don't taunt them about their idols. But this was a different time. And he was really, really trying to force the issue. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Why? Because they were serving idols. And, and, and Elijah wanted to make this crystal clear. What you're serving is not God. You're serving your idols. It's not, not God. And he made them honestly assess who their idols actually were. In this particular case, it was obvious. It was Baal. It was the Asherah God. It was maybe some other gods as well. So we have to ask ourselves this question. What do my idols or my gods of this cult, what do they require of me? Because whatever you worship will exact something from you, extract something from you. It does. We worship God. And he requires something of us, doesn't he? He requires devotion. He requires us to be all in. So do I find myself having to perform? Well, it depends what your God is. What if your God is image? A lot of people are really into their image. And they say, well, you know, I have a certain lifestyle. I carry myself a certain way. You know, I have these certain status symbols in my life. But what is that costing you at the end of the day? Does, does there not come a day when you wake up and you, you think, I'm so tired of performing. I'm so, I'm so tired that, you know, I have this facade that I put on in front of people, but if people really knew how I felt, and I, I just wish I could just be myself. I wish I, I hadn't created this image, and some, somehow the image becomes your, your idol. Wouldn't you like to be set free from that? See, God accepts us just like we are. He, he said, you don't have to perform for me. Just be you. That's the way I created you. Am I serving something that is pushing me towards destruction? I, I would say probably pleasure would fit the bill right there. Pleasure. So, you know, you know how it is. It's like, especially today in our, in our culture, there's so many kinds of entertainment. There's so many forms of pleasure. And if we're not careful, we begin to chase pleasure. Well, we all know where that kind of ends. It doesn't end well. You know, whether it's a, a drug or whether it's, you know, sleeping with people all over the place. Or, or, or whether it's, 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 you know, getting on yachts and, and living, you know, huge life. At some point in time, it's just not going to work. 
you begin to experience the law of diminishing returns. You know, you're trying to have more fun, but you're actually having less fun, and you're saying, what, what's going on? It's because your idol is not gonna, it's gonna exact something from you. And after a while, it's, you're not gonna get what you want. And then finally, are my requests met with indifference? See, whatever your, your idol is, it's not God. And so idols are indifferent. And these guys are jumping around. They're cutting themselves up. They're saying, God, you know, Baal, Asherah, do something. Well, they're not real. Idols never are. But they're real to us if we're serving them. And you have to ask yourself, what is this costing me? Why, why am I so into this? And it could, it could be something else. I'll, I'll just throw it out that's been kind of real to me in my own life, and I've had to sort of struggle a little bit. So I love to surf. And there have been times in my life when surfing pretty much took over my life. Surfing literally became bigger than God in my life. And I had to, I had to deal with that. God, God dealt with me about that. It became an idol. And, and, and maybe in, in your life today, maybe there's something, and if you're very honest with yourself, you would have to say, yeah, yeah it's a little, little bigger than God, actually. In a certain way, it kind of is my God. Maybe it's a hobby, a sport, a lifestyle, but something, and you have to make a decision. Are you, is that going to continue to be your God? Does that continue to be your idol? Or will you serve God? Really, it's, it's about this, considering whether there's someone or something that's better. Let's go back to the story. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here. And they all came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. You know, when I was reading this story, and I read it several times this week, this, those few words jumped out at me. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. What happens at an altar? It, you it worship, right? That's what altars are about. You come to the altar to, to worship. And what happened is that these people had no longer worshipped the God that they knew. It wasn't that these people were ignorant. They knew who God was. They'd been raised up in that tradition. At some point in time in their life, they had experienced God. Now they had turned their back on God. And I, I love this picture of, of, of Elijah coming and doing something very tangible and visible. He said, you know what? You've torn the altar down. You don't worship anymore. I get that. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build the altar back up, and we're going to worship you may not worship right now, but you're, you're going you're to see God, and God's going to be very real to you. Could, could it be that you're here today, and there was a time when you connected with God, you experienced God, God was working in your life, but the altar of your life has come crashing down. It wasn't like you tore it down, you just, it just started disintegrating and falling apart because you just don't worship anymore. If, if you're real about it, you'll say, yeah, there was a time, but now's not that time. I don't know, I just, I don't feel God, I'm not experiencing God. And maybe like Elijah, you need to build that altar back up, back to God. Elijah took the 12 stones, and so the next few verses, I'll just tell you what happened. He begins to, to build this altar, and he builds a big old trench all around the altar, and there's a bunch of stones that are there, and there's wood, and there's the, the bull and everything. And he goes, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pour lots of water on it. So three different times, a bunch of water is just doused all over the, uh, the altar here. Because Elijah wants them to know that what's going to happen next, he wants there to be no doubt about it. 
that God is real. At that time of the sacrifice, verse 36, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed. And he said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant and that I've done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that the people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you're turning their hearts back again. See, that's what God wants to do. He wants us to turn our hearts back to him. No more just go keep my options open. I don't know. I'm not sure. Then the fire of the Lord fell, and it burned up the sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the soil, and and it also licked up the water and the trench. And when the people saw this, they fell prostrate. You would too. Fire comes out of the sky. It just burns everything up. And they cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. What a moment. We talked about week ago, a couple of weeks ago, how God, all of his, Elijah's life, he'd been preparing him for this moment to turn the hearts of the people back to God. Maybe in some of your lives, that's what God's doing. He's preparing you to turn your children's hearts back to God, your parents' hearts back to God, the people that you work with. He's working in your life, and he's trying to help you to persuade them to know God. Interesting Side note here, that, that the true God responds to simple prayer. When you think about what the people were doing, the, the, the Baal worshipers and the prophet, what are they doing? They're dancing around. They're, they're going crazy. They're yelling. Here's the thing. You do not have to impress God. God is a prayer away, and prayer is simply communication to God. You don't have to use fancy words. You don't have to audition for God. He's not Simon Cowell going to judge you. You just you say, God, here I am. And God goes, good, love you, always have, accept you. Glad you came back. The true God bled for us. We don't have to bleed for him. These guys are jumping around. They're cutting themselves up. The Bible said the blood was flowing out of them. God, please. God's going, you don't have to do that because I already did it. Sent my son into this world. He bled a lot on a cross for us so that we don't have to bleed. And then finally, the true God has power because he's God. And God has power in our life. And whatever idols happen to be in our life today, that's not God. It might be your God, but it's not going to come through for you. The true God has power. The true God can change our life. So we have to to decide, who's your God? And are you going to commit to that God and be all in? He says, if the Lord is God, follow him. I love it. He just puts it right to him. Make a decision. What's it going to be for you today? I love what uh, the author of Hebrew says because he says it in a way that really helps us to understand where Elijah's coming from. He, he says it this way. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, this is for everybody that's already in, like my father-in-law, Robert Manila. He was all in. And in a certain way, I kind of stand on his shoulders a little bit. He was part of that great cloud of witnesses. A lot of you are here today because you have your grandmas and your parents and maybe somebody that was praying for you didn't even know about. And it's that part of that great cloud. But then there are the people that are tracking with us today, and you don't know about them either, and they're going, God, please help them. They're kind of messy. I love them. Help them. But he says, let us strive for everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And, and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Now, here's, here's the key part of it right here. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's so easy to get distracted, isn't it? 
So easy to lose our way. So easy to bow down to the idols of our culture today. That's why every day you got to get up and go, I made a decision. What's your decision? I'm going to follow Jesus today. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus today. Because I know there's a thousand other idols out there that are trying to get my attention. But I'm going to follow God. For the joy set before me endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Why? So that you won't grow weary and lose heart. But it all comes down to a decision that has to be made. Now, I I realize we're a church. And so probably most of you have already made that decision. But I also realize in this journey, sometimes we kind of lose our way a little bit. And sometimes... We're not, we don't have that, that conviction every day that we, when we get up. And, and sometimes, like it's happened in my life a couple of times, you know, your heart starts drifting off in a, in, in a different direction. And our Father wants us to be all in because he was all in for us, wasn't he? So this Father's Day, will you be all in? Whether you're a dad or a mom or a teenager or a child, will you, will you be all in? Will you fully surrender yourself to God and take that, that, that next step? And really, that's what it comes down to. So I want to, as Elijah would say, what are you going to do? God's real. You know he's real. I hope you know he's real. So what are you going to do about that? Well, I don't know. I'm from San Diego. I'm just kind of keeping my options open. Well, God says, well, I'm sorry. That's just not the way it works. You've you got to make a decision. Well, Steve, you're, 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 you're sort of forcing the issue here. Well, actually, I'm not. God does. I'm just telling you what, the way God presents it and says it. Okay. So let's pray. Bow your heads if you would. Lord, in, in, in a thousand different ways and beyond, you've shown us that you're God. We see it in the sunrise and in the sunset. We see it in the constellations. We see it in the laughter of a child. We see it in the beautiful oceans that you created. We see it in all of your creation. Something down inside of us says, that's God, and God is real. And yet, it's so easy to lose our way. It's, it's, so, it's so easy to get caught up in everything that the culture is about today, a very confused culture. And, and, and sometimes we become a part of the problem, Lord. We, we get caught up in the, in the ways of the culture and we sit on the sidelines and, well, we just kind of are in this weird, nebulous place where we're not deciding. But I pray that this morning, God, that decisions will be made for those that have lost their way. Maybe for those who have never actually come to you, this morning will be the, the morning and they'll say, okay, I'm all in. I'm tired of bowing down to my idols. They're not coming through for me. So I choose to follow God, Jesus, today. And if, if that's you're here today and you say, okay, I'm making a decision, and, and maybe it's, it's, it's been a long time or maybe it's the first time, but I think this morning would be a great time to make a decision. And I think when you make a decision, you ought to, you ought to do something real bold that, that says, okay, this is it. This is my decision. So if you're here and you've said, I'm in, I'm fully in, 
I've decided. Then I'd just like you to show that to God by raising your hand. Just, all right. Can't see where I'll, I'll turn, but yeah. Right. Lord Jesus, so thankful that you were all in. You gave everything, everything to us. One of the things, Lord, that I love about you so much is how merciful you are and that you extend grace and mercy every day, all day. You're so understanding. And when we lose our way, you're just waiting with open arms for us to come back. You never condemn us. You always love us. And so this morning, I know your arms are wide open for these that have raised their hand. And help them to experience you in a powerful way this morning. Help to see you as the God who's always waiting for them, always loves them. We'll never let them down. And, and, and give them the strength and the tenacity and conviction from this day forward to get up every morning to say, I have decided I will follow Jesus. I have decided I will fight for my family. I have decided I will not bow down to the idols of the culture. I know that you're going to help them, Lord. Be so real to them today, all of us. In Jesus' name we pray.